pretty cool. That video was shot just a couple of weeks before we, a couple of months, I'm sorry, before we started the brook. And uh, it's a remarkable to see a room filled with three pews worth of people, if that, to what God has done now uh, here three years later. It's remarkable, his faithfulness. This past week, I've been doing a lot of reflecting, <clears throat> a lot of thinking back about what God has done, what things have been like, people we've come along the way with, and conversations we've had as well. And this past week, I got some emails from people, notes that were written by people who used to be part of the church here before it had previously closed down. And one of them is an elderly woman that we've met here a number of times named Esther. She sent me a note saying, I rejoice in the blessing of our Lord upon that eternal ministry at Oak Park and Berry Avenues that began back in 1926 or 27. It is my privilege to pray for you on Wednesdays and Saturdays. It will be my spiritual birthday on October 22nd, and the year was 1936 during children's meetings here in this building. God used that ministry to be a sending church for many dedicated servants of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I will share the need to keep praying with the few that are still with us from the earlier days. There's another lady who lives next door to us, and uh, Louis Flores is up in the sound booth right now. He was over at my house this past week. We were talking out front, and uh, the elderly lady came by, and she looked at me and said, Eric, I pray for you guys every day, you know. And this is not the first time she's told us that. And uh, we're realizing that there is a foundation of prayer that still backs us here at the brook. There's another man, a pastor, who grew up here in this church. His name's Will Smith, not the actor. <laughs> he said, I spent many years as a young person attending Grace Evangelical Free Church back in the late 1950s through 65 when I left for studies. The church was instrumental in shaping my life and opening ministry opportunity doors. A number of memories were stirred as I looked over your website and saw the building and worship center. Praise be to God for your vision and passion for serving this community. I trust your celebration Sunday will be a blessing and encouragement to many. I pray that God will bless you, your staff, and congregation. May his peace and joy fill your hearts as you labor in a special part of the Chicagoland area. I talked with another guy who was part of a church just north of us here in Harwood Heights, Bethany Baptist Church. They supported us financially for three years here at the Brook. And he's one of the leaders at the church. And I said, hey, Jerry, we're so grateful at the Brook for the way you guys have financially partnered with us. You've been an encouragement to us. And he says, what are you talking about? You guys have been an encouragement to us. We love hearing news about the brook. And it just made me see that this is what the church is supposed to be about. We give, and then we're blessed in return as we keep giving back to what God does. We're encouraged along the way. And these three years have been just that. Many churches have come alongside of us. People have come along the way. We've been blessed, and others have been blessed as well. You know, I, I want each of you to realize you are part of something that God is doing that is very special. As I mentioned earlier, I know there will be in 10, 20 years from now, you're going to look back on these days and say, surely God was doing amazing things at the brook. And really, we want to be much like the moon is to the sun. At night, the moon shines brightly, but the moon does not generate its own light. It reflects the light of the sun. In fact, the moon reflects only between 3 and 12% of the sunlight. So the sun, so the brightness we're seeing in the moon is just a small reflection of the brightness, the shining of the sun. 
And the truth of the matter is that God has called us at the brook to be much like the moon. We want to reflect the Son of God. We want people to see us and see God at work among us. There's a Christian rapper named Lecrae. He says, I'm like the moon. I reflect what the sun do. I don't want to get the glory. I want the sun to. And I thought that summarizes it up. We want to be those who look to Jesus, the sun, who shines ever so brightly. And we want our lives as individuals and us as a church to reflect the brightness and the glory of Jesus. And so what we're going to do today, I'm going to reflect on the story of the brook and how God brought us to where we're at today as we're unpacking the Bible in Mark chapter 9. And that's where we're going to find ourselves today, Mark chapter 9. We're going to see that when we see the bright shining of the sun that is Jesus, it will fuel our faith and unleash us to God's mission. So let's turn to the book of Mark chapter 9. The pew Bible in front of you, the blue Bible, it's yours if you don't own a Bible. It's our gift to you today. Uh, we, we believe there is power in the Bible because it is God's word given to us. He speaks to us when we open the Bibles. And we are on page what? And the, that pew Bible? 844. Mark chapter 9. I'm actually going to back up and read chapter 8, verse 27. It's a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And he asked them the question, he says, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked them that personal, pointed question, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. We'll learn that Peter didn't fully understand what that meant, but Jesus tells them, drop down to verse 34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's what the followers of Jesus are called to do. Now drop down to chapter 9, verse 1, our passage for today. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured. Say that with me. Transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to him, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? 
But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did not, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. This is God's word, and there's a lot there in the passage, much that we won't be able to get to. But what we've seen here, as I mentioned before, is that Jesus pulled his disciples aside, and he asked them a penetrating question, who do people say that I am? And we've seen that this is an important question for all of us to think through. What does the culture at large say about Jesus? But Jesus hears their answers and then asks them specifically, but, but who do you say that I am? Peter, the courageous one who likes to speak up, says you are the Christ. The title Christ comes from the Old Testament in the Bible. And the Christ was a person that the people of Israel were looking for. They couldn't wait for him to come because he would come and deliver God's people. And the thought was that he would come as a king and establish a kingdom on earth. And so Peter is looking at Jesus saying, you are the Christ that we've been hoping for. He was thrilled and excited. And Jesus says, you're exactly right. But Jesus understood that Peter didn't understand what that really meant. See, Jesus says, you know, part of my mission, though, Peter, as the Christ, means I've got to suffer. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die. And after dying, I will raise from the dead. And, and Peter's like, what's going on? No, Jesus, you can't die. You shouldn't do this. It's not going to happen. Because Peter misunderstood what it meant for Jesus to be the Christ. But Jesus tells Peter this because he tells him an important lesson about being a follower of Jesus, something for us at the brook that's important. Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus is saying, if you want to be my follower, you've got to lay it all on the line. And what we've seen here at the brook is that discipleship, following Jesus, is costly but priceless. Discipleship is costly but priceless. It's definitely, definitely uh, quite costly. We're thinking about the beginnings of the brook, and I've shared this with you before, but I want to keep repeating it because I want you to know the story of what God has done because I know the more we talk about it, the more brightly the sun is going to shine. There was a day where I had, uh, went out to coffee with a man named Rick Thompson. He was at the first service today, actually. And I said, hey, Rick, can we go, to, go out for coffee because I have some questions about discipleship how to teach people to follow you. And Rick was kind enough to meet me over at Starbucks on Irving Park just off of Cicero. And while we are talking, he said, hey, Eric, I have something for you that I want you to think about. There's a church on the corner of Oak Park and Berry that's going to be closing. They've come upon some hard times. They've struggled for quite a few years, and they're going to be closing the doors. But they agreed to close the doors and not just sell the property or just give it to some organization. But they said, we want a new church to start there. And so he said, hey, we're looking for a new church planter, somebody to start a new church there. I wonder if you'd be interested in applying for that. And quickly I told Rick, I said, no, I'm not interested in it. See, I was an associate pastor at Good News Bible Church, a church we loved, frankly. We had sunk our feet and our teeth deep there. I was serving there. My wife grew up there. We loved it. I was comfortable. I said, no, we're not, we're not interested in that. But you know, God has a way of doing things when we don't realize what he's doing. 
We saw last week that Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes Jesus, saying, hey, Jesus, no, you're not supposed to die. And Jesus is like, do you know God's plans? And so I'm like, no, God, we're not supposed to go there and start a church. And God's like, do you know my plans? And Rick Thompson looked at me. And he said, well, would you at least pray about it? I mentioned I was a pastor at the time. And the answer any pastor is supposed to give to the question, hey, will you pray about it? The answer has to be yes. I mean, what kind of pastor would I be if someone says, hey, will you pray for that? No, I won't. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going I'm to say I'll pray about it. Be a, good, be a good Christian man right now. Yes, Rick, I'll pray, for, I'll pray about this, having no intention to pray about it. In fact, my intention to pray about it matched my interest in the opportunity. It was nothing. So I went home, and I don't even remember if I told Erica about the opportunity at that moment. I did eventually. But some time had gone by, days, I think even weeks, before the Spirit of God began to tug on my heart. And you know, there are times where God's trying to move us. He's trying to tell us something. He starts yanking on our hearts, and we start realizing it was more than just the meal you had earlier today. It's actually God doing something in you. And God said, hey, you know, Eric, you told Rick you'd pray about that. But it's like, I haven't heard anything yet. <laughs> and so Erica and I, we pray together before bed every night. Something we do as part of our, our marriage to keep us united together and with the Lord, and, and we, uh, we said, you know what, let's, let's pray about this. And initially, we began to pray about it. There was very little interest until God began to intervene in our hearts. And slowly but surely, we began to have a, a burden for the community that we didn't understand where it was coming from. So we said, you know what, let's go out for a drive. Let's go to the, to the neighbor. Let's park out here. We parked right there on Barry. It says, go on a prayer walk, and let's get a feel for the community. At the time, Erica was about seven months pregnant, so our prayer walk was like a block long, and then we got back in the car. But while we're out there, and then we started driving around, that was easier, we started having a heart for the people we saw. And no longer do we see it as an intersection, Oak Park and Barry, or cross streets or a neighborhood, but we saw people. We saw souls. We saw people that God loved. So we went back home, began to research the community and realized that there are 42,000 people within a one-mile radius of where you're sitting right now. 42,000 people. And there were not many gospel-centered churches who preached the Bible and loved Jesus. I could count them in one hand. And if you do the math, you realize 42,000 people, less than five churches, each church has to be in the thousands if we're going to reach the community. So God began to show us people, the need, the burden, and our hearts started going out. So that one day we said, you know, I think this is it. I think this is it. I made that phone call to Rick, and I said, hey, Rick, sign us up for an interview. We're we're interested. And in God's providence, we were the last people they interviewed. They almost had closed it up. We sat downstairs in the assembly room across from the Brook Kids, as they interviewed me, and then afterward interviewed Erica a week later. And uh, during that time, our heart really began to stir. And then the day after Levi was born, we got a phone call from Brett Gleason, who gave the welcome just a few moments ago. And Brett said, hey, Eric, we want to offer you guys the opportunity to plant the church there. And we already knew at that point that they offered it, we were taking it. It was a scary thing for us because to say yes to that meant to say no to what we knew. To say yes to the Lord meant to sacrifice, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus. Many of you have experienced that kind of cross-bearing, 
Maybe you've stepped out in faith because God has tugged on your heart. Maybe you've suffered physically. Maybe your body is failing you, and you're carrying that cross, but you're refusing to deny Jesus. You're looking, saying, Jesus, you're my all in all. You still satisfy me. There, there are crosses to carry in this life, but that's part of following Jesus. He carried his. He's called us to carry ours for his purpose because his glory will shine. And so we began to tell our friends back in our church, people like the Pachecos and others, and it, it was a hard season. And I posted on Facebook this week, in my worst of days, there were times I stood up late at night. Sometimes I even got out of bed because I, I was too antsy. I said, Eric, that was dumb. What did you do? You're, you're, a, you're a full-time pastor. You've got a salary. Your family's comfortable. You love your church. I mean, why, why would you do this to a community you don't know, to a people you don't know, to support raising financially? What are you doing? And truly, it had to be a God thing to get us here, and he, and he did it. We say this not for our glory, but for his. He did it. Church planning is costly. Discipleship is costly. The Christian life is costly, but it's priceless. We named the church The Brook because after coming through the community, you see this, you walk around, you see people, and you know, okay, you can pretend like you got your life together, but I can see beneath the surface there. And others say, I'm not going to pretend like I got it together. I don't. And you see people are thirsting for an answer to life's problems. And the hole in their heart is shaped like God, but they as imperfect people, we as sinful people, have no business coming to a perfect God unless God would come down to save us. And he did that. This is why Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, because I am God. I will satisfy. So we began to think of water images, and I remember one day we were in the car, and Erica said, how about the brook? I said, man, that's a great sound to it. So let's catch us at the brook. Let's do it. We designed a logo to reflect that passion of water and of Jesus satisfying our thirst. Our mission statement says, leading the thirsty to the water of life. Our core values are wrapped up in the word water and the acronym of white flag worship, always on mission, thirsty prayers, embodying scripture in real community. This is what God had called us to. Jesus told Peter, He says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. The Christian life begins when we die to ourselves. And when we die and then we live, we save it. But if we live a life of trying to save and hoard and protect our comforts, we're ultimately dying. That's what Jesus says. You want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. It's costly, but it's priceless. And then about a year into the brook, God brought another church family, Kaleo Church, that Pastor Tony Navarro pastored. And they have a beautiful story of their own, and God brought our two churches together and wove us together to the point where today you don't know who came from where, but you know God brought them here. In three years at the brook, all glory be to the sun who shines We've been able to baptize 33 people in three years. Praise the Lord. We've dedicated 24 children on this stage. Praise the Lord. We had 96 women 
at the Secure Woman's Retreat this past spring, learning what it means to be forgiven, fervent, fighter, faithful, and free. We had 48 men at the Rise Retreat where men rose up to biblical manhood, to leaders, and learned what it meant to be that kind of man. We've seen people come to faith in Jesus Christ here and in our real communities. Lives changed for eternity, church. We've seen people rededicate their lives to the Lord. Disciples are being made. Following Jesus is costly. It's priceless. Wouldn't trade it. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and he tells them, yeah, I'm going to suffer, but my suffering works. <laughs> because a Savior who does not suffer is a Savior who cannot save. But then he shows them a Savior who is not God is a Savior who cannot save. I am God, and I'm going to show you that's why my suffering works. And in Mark chapter 9, verse 2, he took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. The word transfigure is where we get our English word metamorphosis. And when you hear that, you think of a butterfly, perhaps, how it goes from an egg to a caterpillar to a chrysalis and then this beautiful butterfly. Maybe you think of transfigured, you think of Optimus Prime, who goes from this truck, a semi, into a robot. Or maybe you think of Bruce Banner, who becomes the Hulk. Jesus is the true transformer who on that high mountain, he was there with his disciples, and he was transfigured before them. Jesus, who is fully man and fully God, 100% man, 100% God, not 50-50. He didn't wake up and some mornings feel like, I'm feeling a little more God-like today. Or the next day, you know what, my humanity is kind of making things tough today. No, he's fully God, fully man. And on this mountain, though the disciples saw his humanity, for a moment they caught a glimpse of his divinity, that he is God. He was transfigured before their midst. And look what Mark says there in verse 3. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Hear the language, radiant, that's vibrant, intensely white. Not just white, but intensely white. As no one could bleach them. And literally it means as no launderer could bleach them. You got people who specialize in bleaching. Not even them, they can get their clothes as bright as Jesus was transfigured. And the reason is, all of that stuff is natural. Jesus is supernatural. It was his glory that was shining. Brighter than anything you have ever seen on this earth. Jesus was transfigured in their presence. Imagine how amazing that must have been. And then, if that weren't enough, two guys show up and there appear to them, Elijah and Moses, on the mountain. Crazy. Imagine being Peter, James, and John. You're seeing Jesus transfigured, and then Moses and Elijah show up. Like, why Moses and Elijah? Why not Daniel, right? Moses is the great lawgiver of the Old Testament. Elijah is the great prophet of the Old Testament. And the two of them with Jesus had many things in common. 
See, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah spoke God's words. Jesus, truly God. But they all spoke God's word. They all suffered. They all had dark days in the wilderness. They all were on the mountaintop. They were all revered. In the Old Testament, Moses spoke of one coming after him that was greater than him that people needed to listen to. In the book of Malachi, we're told that Elijah would come at the last days. And we find out in Scripture that this Elijah is John the Baptist who paved the way for Jesus. But here, Elijah and Moses are on the mountaintop there with Jesus. And Peter and John and James are seeing this moment, Jesus' glory shining. What I love about this, really, that's what we want to do. We want to see God's glory shine here in this community and throughout our city of Chicago. See, because God is about making his glory known. The sun will shine. And let the moon let us reflect. I've used this illustration with a few others before. But if you're driving down the Kennedy Expressway and you see the Sears Tower, don't call it Willis Tower, please. I made that mistake earlier. You're driving down to Kennedy, going toward the Sears Tower. And if you're at a distance and you do this, you can fit the Sears Tower in your hand. You ever do that? You see kids ever sm- smash heads like this? But as you drive closer to the Sears Tower, what happens? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you stand at the foot of the building. You look up and you're like, wow. You almost lose your balance. And God's glory is much like that. We can see God at a distance and say, oh, he's pretty, he's pretty cool. He's pretty amazing. But here at the brook, we're not okay with that. We're not content with people hearing about God or maybe thinking about him or maybe perhaps seeing a glimpse of him. We want people to be consumed by the glory of God. And what seems like this at first, they get closer to God and closer and closer, and they begin to see him and his magnitude and his majesty, and they glorify him and worship him, as Peter and James and John did there. That's what we want to be about. And that's what Jesus wanted them to see. Yes, he came to suffer, but he was able to save because he is God. And he was there transfigured to show them, yes, I will do this. And boy, for us to fall in that line and say, God, shine your glory in our midst and let us reflect it. I'm like the moon. I reflect what the sun do. I don't want to get the glory. I want the sun too. Let those be our words. There in the mountaintop. Peter, James, and John are there, and Peter speaks up first because he's just really good at that. Some of you are a lot like Peter. I know it. You take great comfort, man. Sometimes you hit a home run, and sometimes you strike out. This one, he struck out swinging here. He says, Jesus, he says, Jesus, Rabbi, which means teacher, it is good that we are here. Yeah, that is good. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter's like, can we keep this? Like, let, let, let this keep, and we got a video, okay, take a picture of this. Let, let's just stay here. Let's make a camp out. And it says in verse 6, Mark writes, For Peter did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Usually when you don't know what to say, don't say something. P- Peter spoke up, and we get to enjoy that moment. But truly, God's glory is breathtaking. And when you are confronted by God, sometimes you just don't know what to say. 
They can say, praise the Lord, but God, that just feels like that doesn't match your majesty. I say, God, I worship you, but is that enough to say, God, my words can't contain the worship due to you. I think Peter was struck by that somewhat. But it's not only what Peter saw, but then what he heard in verse 7. A cloud overshadowed them. And whenever there's a cloud in the Bible, typically it represents the presence of God. A cloud overshadowed them. And then a voice came out of the cloud. And it said this, this is my beloved son. Read those three words with me. Listen to him. Amazing. See, it's like the father was saying, yeah, Moses and Elijah, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, those are like superheroes of the Old Testament. But this is my beloved son. This is God in flesh. When he speaks, listen to him. Hear his message. Consume his word. And the father says, listen to him. And then suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, just Jesus only. It's like Peter and James and John were like, oh, man, that was so good. So good. But Jesus tells them something here in verse 9. Because that moment was glorious. I mean, can you imagine? They had a story to tell now. But Jesus tells them in verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. See, Jesus told them, all right, guys, when I come down, when we come down from this mountain, you can't tell people what just happened up there. Because the problem is, when I come down and they hear, hey, man, when I was up there, Jesus, man, his glory was shining. Like the Father, God, started talking to us. We saw, we met Moses and Elijah. People are going to start coming in droves, taking Jesus, saying, hey, let's make him our king. Because that's what they've shown that they wanted to do throughout the book of Mark. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not what I came for. I came to suffer. I came to die. I came to raise from the dead to save you from your sins. So you can't go on telling people about this. You've got to hold your tongue. But Jesus gives them a time frame. So the day's coming when you will, and that day happens when the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And oh man, what it must have been like when Peter, James, and John were sitting with the other disciples after the resurrection of Jesus and saying, hey, there's a story we got to tell you guys. We've been keeping our lips sealed. We saw Jesus transfigured. We saw his glory shine. And now I bet they could not keep their mouths shut. We live in post-resurrection days. We live in the days after Jesus rose from the dead, and we have that same privilege of making known Jesus' glory. You know, uh, about a year or so ago, Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote a play called Hamilton that has spread like wildfire throughout our country. People are enthralled with this thing. And what the play is is this. Lin-Manuel Miranda was reading a biography of Alexander Hamilton, one of our nation's founding fathers. And as he read the biography, he was so struck by the character of Hamilton and his influence in our country. And he read the book and began to think, people need to hear this story. They got, they got to know about it. He, he felt compelled to make this story known. And as he began to look around, he realized there were no plays, no modern plays at least, that shared Hamilton's story. So Miranda says, I'm going to write something, but I want it to be understandable 
for this present day. I want them, I want them to see how relevant it is because Hamilton was a man for the people. So the play Alexander Hamilton is a play that is written with hip-hop language and spoken word. It tells a story of our nation's founding father with rap. Became a smash hit, and now it's here in Chicago. You know, I find that story to be very similar to what our story at the Brook has been like. You see, we have read a book, and we find it to be quite compelling, church. There is a Jesus in this book that we believe people need to know about. They need to hear about. And they need to hear it in a language that is common for them. And so we wanted to start the book to make this message of Jesus known. And our prayer that like Hamilton, it would spread like wildfire throughout our cities, throughout our nation, throughout this globe. Alexander Hamilton is known for a famous quote. He says, I never expect to see a perfect work from an imperfect man. But what would you expect from a perfect man? A perfect work. And that's Jesus, the perfect man, truly God, truly man who did a perfect work to save people like me and you. And so, church, when I think about what God has done and our desire to make him known, I'm thrilled as Joanne announced that we've got five real community groups now. We're in four different communities, four different neighborhoods with five different groups. And we want to see each of us engage in these real communities. We want more real communities developed. We started two services today, not just to increase our seating capacity, but to increase our what? Sending capacity. We want to start more churches. And we believe the more people that are part of God's work at the brook, the more people then, like the Pachecos, we could send out and say, hey, we want people to start a church. Yeah, God may call you to uproot your life. God might call you to have to let go of your comforts. But discipleship is costly, but it's also what? Priceless. And you won't ever regret it. This is our heartbeat. And even recently, we began to work with our denomination and the Orchard Free Church. And we began to connect with them because they are having these church planning residencies. And we at the Brook are going to be a church where people who want to start churches in the city could come here and learn before we send them out in conjunction with that. Church, this is an exciting time to make Jesus' glory known. We want to be like the moon, church. We want to radiate God's glory. We want to reflect it to a dying world so that when people see us, they see our God. We want to be like the moon and reflect what the sun do. We don't want to get the glory. We want the sun to. We want to be those kind of people, that kind of church. And ultimately, the reason we're about this is what Jesus said. He had to live, die, and raise from the dead. See, the truth of the matter is, we all have a sin problem with God. He's perfect, we are not. And the only way for that gap to be bridged is by Jesus coming. And when Jesus went to the cross, he took the punishment that you and I deserved. God's wrath was poured on Jesus because when that happened, our sin was placed on Jesus, and in exchange, his righteousness was placed on us. So when God the Father sees us who put our faith in Jesus, he sees the perfection of Jesus. 
And he says, you are now my daughter. You are now my son. You're part of my family. Amen. We want other people to hear that glorious news. We want people to fill this place hearing that message of how Jesus has come to save. Well, Brooke family, it's been three years for us, but God's been at it for eternity. What might God do three years from now? Just think about it. What might God do through you, through me, through us as a family? We're going to walk by faith, and he's going to use you to do it. So let's open our mouths, get this message across, invite people to God's work, and let's sit back and enjoy that ride, church. I'm going to pray. Let's rise to our feet. Worship team, you guys come on up. And after I pray, we're going to have our prayer team. Will you guys come up as well? To the front and to the back. And what we do every week, we have an opportunity where you can be prayed for, where our team is here eager to pray with you no matter what kind of thing is on your mind. Maybe you're just overwhelmed with stuff in life. Maybe you have a prayer request about an opportunity. Maybe God's calling you to put your faith in Jesus. Whatever it is, our prayer team, they're here and eager to pray with you. They're in the front of the room, here in the back. But let's bow our heads in prayer together now. Father in heaven, it's been a wonderful three years. It's hard to believe, God. But Lord, we look back and say, God did it. God, every life that's been transformed, every baptism, every child dedicated, God, is you who are at work in the lives of families, in the lives of singles, in the lives of marrieds, in the lives of kids, in our youth. God, you are doing it. And so, Lord, we want to lock arms together and be about this mission that you are unleashing. And so, God, may people see and hear about your son, Jesus, because of the brook. And so we pray these things, God, asking that you would do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, as we sing this last song, man, let's sing like we believe it. Let's lift our voices in worship and in adoration of our God, who is glorious. Let's sing together.